0: Okay, I'm Ted, uh, Ted Sin, glad you all are here. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I want to start with a little survey, just kind of get our bearings, I, help me get my bearings. Um, if you are utilizing the CBR Journal or if you're familiar with it, uh, raise your hand. Okay, good. All right, a lot of people are. If, if you're unfamiliar with it, raise your hand. All right, cool. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay, Okay, so you're familiar. All right, never mind. Um, if you have ever experienced an in the workshop called Invitation to the CBR Journal, where we talked about the what, the why, and the how. If you've experienced that, raise your hand. Okay, think all right, if you were here last year when we were meeting in I guess the whatever you would call it, the sanctuary, if you were here last year and we talked about community. Raise your hand. All right, a lot, a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight is eerily similar because it's material that has developed since then. But that was, um, that was one of the first times where we, where I tried to put some thoughts together on community, and um, so hopefully uh, you won't be too bored. Hopefully the material will have developed, and if nothing else, it'll serve as a great reminder of something super important. Okay, so if you have been to an invitation to the CBR Journal. Um, in that time, again, we answer the questions, the what, the why, and the how. In the why, we provide a couple of reasons for why a person would want to utilize the CBR Journal or why a person would want to use a tool like it that leads them to reading the Bible every day in a way uh, that focuses on Jesus and not themselves, right? So the CBR Journal, Community Bible Reading Journal at the core, is a tool that helps people read the Bible daily, in a way um, that focuses on Jesus primarily and not themselves, okay? So if you were at that workshop called Invitation, do you remember some of the reasons we gave for why you would want to do it, why you would want to use the journal, or why you would want to grow in this habit of and heart for daily Bible reading? Communion with God? Good, yeah. Connect with God. Daily satisfaction. So the number one reason why you want to grow in the habit of and the heart for reading the Bible on a daily basis, getting in a private place, getting in a quiet place, setting aside, Lord willing if possible, the first bit of your day and connecting with God, the number one reason you want to do that is daily satisfaction. The the Bible, and particularly in the Psalms, the book of Psalms, the Psalms talks about how we wake up every morning hungry and thirsty for... Uh, And in need of the steadfast love of God. And so we tend to think about um, our hearts as if, like, if I can just get to church every now and then um, and hear a good sermon and sing some songs, I think I'm going to be okay. If I can just get there on Sunday and have uh, the the pastor tell me about the grace of God and tell me about the gospel, that's probably enough. Um, But the Bible actually says we have this daily need um, for experiencing God in his steadfast love, experiencing his gospel, which is, of course, the great manifestation of his steadfast love, right? So the Bible would actually say you have a desperate need for a daily interaction with God in his word. And not only that, the Bible would say not only do you have a desperate need for it, but when you uh, encounter it, it's what satisfies you at the deepest level. So it's not just a need which you need to take medicine and the medicine tastes bad. It is a need, but what you get is this extraordinary and extravagant feast. Okay, so for example, the Psalter would say, I hunger and thirst for you. Um, my, my soul longs for you um, as in a parched land. Uh, satisfy me as with fat and rich food with your steadfast love. Okay, so if I were to say to you, in terms of how much do you value and how vital do you understand your need for daily Bible reading? If I said, how valuable is daily Bible reading and how vital is it on a scale of 0 to 10? Whereas 0 is, I don't think it's very valuable at all. I don't, think it's very vi- I don't think I have a vital need for it at all. And if 10 is like, it's extraordinarily valuable, and I realize I have a desperate need for it. Wherever you would put yourself and your understanding of daily Bible reading. So let's say we all decide to be biblical and put it here, right? Wherever you put that, the the point of this workshop is that interacting daily with your gospel community about your Bible reading is the exact same in terms of value and vitality. Okay, are you with me? Most of us think wherever I put my daily Bible reading with me and Jesus in the closet, I'm going to put interaction with community somewhere underneath it in terms of how valuable it is and how much I desperately need it. And yet the Bible, we're going to see tonight, the Bible actually says it's as valuable as and as vital as daily Bible reading. Wherein that daily Bible reading is having God deposit his steadfast love into you by reminding you of the gospel. Okay. So that's my 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 uh, if you look at the top of your your um you're, you're at the top of your worksheet there, you're going to see that there's a conviction at the CBR journal. That conviction is this: engaging our gospel community in our daily Bible reading is as valuable as and is as vital as our daily Bible reading. That's basically what I'm saying here. So with that in mind, the goal then is this. We want your engagement with your gospel community in your bi- daily Bible reading over the next 30 days to increase in quantity and quality compared to the past 30 days. So to be totally honest with you, the, the real goal that we have at the invitation that I told you about, if, if this is today, in the past 30 days, when you come into the invitation, which is the what, why, and how, not this workshop, but the other one, Let's say you read your Bible four times in the last 30 days, which would be great, actually. Um, The goal of that workshop is to get you to understand that you have a desperate need for daily Bible reading, and the goal is to get you to, let's say, in the next 30 days, read your Bible eight times. Just trying to increase this faith-based obedience God's Word. In the same way, if over the last 30 days, you're to say, I interacted with my gospel community this number of times, might be zero, might be four, not I went to a party and I saw them there, not we had group and we saw each other, not I needed to borrow the lawnmower and I called them, but interacting about your daily Bible reading. If you said, I interacted with my spouse one time and I remember I had breakfast with somebody and we talked about it one time and we texted, I text, we have a text group, we texted one. Whatever these interactions are, zero to 30. Well, actually there's none on Sunday, so zero to 26. Whatever that is, my goal is for you to have more interaction, but not just more interaction, but better interaction. And my goal at the end of the workshop is for you to desire that goal as well. All right? So we're going to keep that in mind. The plan that I've put together for the workshop is based on that goal is I want us to think about what the Bible says about community. I want us to think about what the Bible says about Bible reading in community. I want us to think about some simple steps we can take to, to help us increase the number of times and I would say the depth in those conversations, that what we want is not just more, we want better. And then we're going to, if time permits, at the very end, we're going to spend some time um, in Psalm 1 practicing uh, with the CBR Journal journaling page. We're going we're to spend some time going through that passage together and enjoying that passage in this community. Okay, do you understand what we're doing? You understand what my goal is? Okay, great. So if you would, uh, look at, uh, under number one for you, some of what the Bible teaches about community. So in this section, I'm going to give you some thoughts about what the Bible says about community. And at the end of it, I'm going to say to you, what relevance might this have to community Bible reading? Because it's not going to be necessarily obvious for the next 15 or 20 minutes that we're driving towards Bible reading and community. What we're doing is we're going to talk about community from 40,000 feet. We're going to talk about some really big ideas in the Bible about community they are relevant to reading the Bible and community but then the next section is going to be a couple of passages that specifically speak about Bible reading and community. Okay, So, so if you're wondering where we're going for the next 15 minutes these are more general and then we're going to get more specific after that so i got three subpoints if you will under some of what the bible teaches about community the bible teaches that we steward a vital power in each other's lives the bible teaches why we steward a vital power in each other's lives and the bible teaches how we primarily steward that vital power in each other's lives so let's start with one the bible teaches that we steward a vital power in each other's lives uh, look at A. We almost always become like the community we live life with. Proverbs thirteen twenty: Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. A major lesson in the book of Proverbs is this. You become like the people you hang out with. A major lesson in the book of Proverbs is this. Hanging out with wise people is not as fun as hanging out with foolish people. But hanging out with wise people will result in more blessing in your life than the harm that comes to foolish people. So a big idea in the Proverbs is short-term gain brings long-term pain. And short-term pain brings long-term gain. And so the book of Proverbs is written to young men going through puberty, about to marry, and about to be launched into manhood. And one of the big ideas of the book of Proverbs is you become like the people you hang out with. And you're going to want to forego short-term gain, because that is going to bring you a life of pain. Whether it's alcohol, or laziness, or women, the wrong kind of woman, (laughs) just think about the book of Proverbs. Hang out with wise people. Don't allow your flesh to be gratified in the moment, and you will have more pleasure over the long haul. Make sense? Okay, for our purposes tonight, we're just trying to, to pay attention to the fact that the Bible says our community stewards this vital power in our lives, that even if we're not aware of it and conscious of it, our community is shaping us to be wise if the community is wise and to suffer harm if the community is foolish. Look at B. Current community is almost always more powerful than past community. First Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. How are good morals established in a person? What's the context for good morals being established? Good community. So when someone has good morals, they've been in good community. But if bad company can ruin good morals, that means current bad company is more powerful than past good community. Are you with me? Okay, so... Um, this uh, This is one of those things that I know to be absolutely true because I was a student pastor for 12 years. And I at first was staggered by how many students went off to college and came back no longer following Jesus after watching them for 18 years be committed to him. Never met a senior that pulled me aside and said, Hey, I know I'm acting like a Christian now. But I don't plan to do this next year. Now, I did meet hypocritical kids who were faking their parents out. But I never met a kid that was, as far as they could tell, a vibrant believer. Say, you know what, this time next year I'm not going to be a believer anymore. Because I'm going to go to school and I'm not going to have this church community around me. And I'm not going to have my family around me. And I'm going to have friends around me. we're going to have a lot of fun short-term gain. And I might have some professors who are really winsome and thoughtful and cool, and before you know it, I'm, I'm going to be doubting the gospel. Does that make sense? I'm just telling you, the Bible says our community has an extraordinary power in our lives. Our present community has an extraordinary power in our lives. Look at C. Everyone who believes the gospel initially or more fully has others believe it for them before them. So look at Luke 5.20, this is, in my opinion, one of the most compelling verses in all the Bible when, when it comes to proving that community is extraordinarily powerful in our lives. And when he saw their faith, plural, their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. So without even, and we're going to talk about the context of Luke 5 here in a second, without even thinking about the story surrounding This verse, think about, just think about the verse. Based on the faith of a group of men, Jesus eternally blessed a man. That's hard for an individualistic American to get their minds wrapped around. Okay, what's the story here? What's going on in Luke 5? Bonus points. The friends are, yeah, they, they go and cut a hole in the roof, right? And they drop their friend down in front of Jesus because there was too many people in the room and they couldn't, they couldn't get their friend to Jesus. So there was power with him to heal, but all the Pharisees were in front of him asking him questions and getting in the way, right? So listen to Luke 5, 15 to 19. It's not in your notes, just listen. Listen to how Luke compares the four and the one. Listen to how Luke Contrast contrasts the four and the one. And then I'll read verse 20 to you again, and let's see what you think about it. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Whose faith did he see? Maybe five people. Every commentator I read says four. It's not to say that the one's not going to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not to say the one isn't going to have faith in Jesus. It's not to say the one uh, is, is rebellious and not wanting to be saved. But Luke's point is this. When Jesus saw the faith of his four friends, that they would do whatever it took to get their friend to him and, him to the, to, and Jesus to him, Jesus is like, he, he's going to be okay. He's in good hands. So think about my point. Everyone who believes the gospel initially or more fully has others believe it for them before them. Have you ever met anyone in your life who was converted to Christianity who did not have another Christian believing the gospel for them before them? That is, believing that Jesus could save them before they realized Jesus was saving them. I've never met an individual in my life who was converted, who God gave the birth from above, who God took from death to life, who did not have other Christians believing that God could do that for them before they believed it for themselves. Yes, ma'am? How did you come to know the Lord? Late Great Planet Earth? Dr. Pratt, Dr. Richard Pratt, one of my favorite men in all the world, was, was converted reading The Late Great Planet Earth. And you know why Hal Lindsay wrote that book? Because he believed God could save you. I'm just telling you, you're not going to find. So why do I write things? Why do I preach sermons? Why do I have podcasts out there? Because I believe God can save. And I'm praying that God will save. And I'm praying that there may be stories that I hear in heaven that I know nothing about now, but somehow God used something I did to get his gospel out there. All right? So that's an extraordinary one. though. Normally it's a parent praying for a long time for a kid. Normally it's a neighbor praying a long time for their neighbor. Are you with me? I'm just just pointing out the fact the Bible says we have an extraordinary power in one one another's lives, and in fact, a vital power. Look at D. If we live in isolation to avoid foolish community, we live with a fool. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So if you get to the point where you realize that hanging out with fools is harmful to you, the choice to isolate is just as harmful. Because the Bible says anybody that thinks that they can avoid foolishness by being by themselves lives exclusively with a fool. But in that statement, realize what the Bible is saying that every one of us needs wise community. Okay, so first, the Bible teaches that we steward a vital power in each other's lives. Second, why? Why? So I don't have to tell you this. Parent a teenager who comes home crying because somebody at school did something to them. Could be a friend, could be a teacher, could be who knows, right? That's because that teenager was built by God vulnerable to other human beings. You with me? Just, just, so just think for a second. Why do we have so much power in one another's lives? And the flip side of that is true. Why are we so vulnerable to one another? Why do other people have so much impact on us? Why do we spend so much energy putting up shells and putting up layers so people can't impact us? Okay, are you with me? Look at A. Adam and Eve, so those are the first two humans. They were created... By an interdependent community, IDC, as an interdependent community, for an interdependent community. Okay, so first, let me define my terms. I'm telling you the Bible is going to call you to a life of interdependence. Interdependence is positive. I'm going to prove it to you before the end of the night, okay? Interdependence is this. It's believing that we need the same people who need us. It's believing that we meet the needs of the people who meet our needs. Okay? Independence is believing that we shouldn't need anyone, even if they need us. American. Overdependence is believing that we need others more than they need us, if they need us at all. Okay? So interdependence is this idea of, I need the people who need me, and I meet the needs of the people who meet my needs. So Adam and Eve were created by an interdependent community. Who created Adam and Eve? The Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, <clears throat> God the Holy Spirit. Look at Genesis one twenty-six. God, singular, said to himself, singular, let us, plural, make man in our plural image after our plural likeness. And so God said to God, The triune God said, let us make humans in our likeness. And so created in the likeness of God, we are created for interdependence. Look at the the next line there. Adam and Eve were created as an interdependent community. In Genesis 2, we read more about how God created Adam and Eve. We read this in verse 18. It is not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Okay? Okay. So the first human, Adam, was hanging out with God, the triune God. And the triune God had given him his chores. Do you remember what his chores were? I'm sorry? Yeah, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. Right? And he's looking at all these animals. He's looking at all the fish. He's looking at all the birds. And there's no one that's a fit for him. Right? Right? And what are the animals, the birds, and the fish doing? Multiplying. And he is losing. He is supposed to take what is in the garden and spread it around the entire universe, or excuse me, the entire globe. He he is supposed to create a civilization that has dominion over the animals, the birds, the ground. He's supposed to do that, and he's all alone. And so Genesis 2 does not say, as we say at a good wedding... Adam was lonely, and God made a helper for him. He was not lonely. He was in relationship with God. He was alone, and he needed a helper fit for him. There is a, a word in the Hebrew language for lonely. This is not it. He was not lonely. He was unable to fulfill his calling without Eve. Now, that is a true statement about marriage, that if God calls you to marriage... You can't fulfill your calling apart from that marriage. But this tells us more about being human than it does marriage. That we were created for interdependence where God would give us instructions that we cannot do on our we cannot pull off on our own and we would need one another to accomplish. And then of course as I've already mentioned they were created for an interdependent community. They were supposed to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it and have dominion over the fish, the birds, and the things that move on the ground, they were not supposed to have dominion over each other. Therein, they were to be an interdependent community. So why do we have such a power in each other's lives? We were designed that way. Yeah, we were designed that way. Okay? We were designed that way. Now, before the fall, we couldn't hurt each other. We could only bless and serve one another. But that didn't last very long. And so now the reason we put up these barriers and we put up these defense mechanisms from being vulnerable to one another is because when we have done that in the past, people have hurt us. But God did not decide to make us less vulnerable to one another after the fall. We still desperately need each other. And therein lies... One of the great mysteries and agonies of life. Okay? So, uh, B, after redeeming his people from slavery, God fed his community through interdependence. So do you remember what's happening in Exodus 16? How does God feed his people? Manna, right? Tell me more about the manna. Came from God. How often? Every day except for? Except for Saturday. Right? And this happened for how many years? Forty. That's right. Good answer. Okay, and then what happened? Did they go out with their forks and knives and eat the manna out in the wilderness? What did they do after they gathered it? No. No. They couldn't store it except Friday, and then they could. They what? How did they distribute it? Who distributed it? The elders, it says. It says that they most likely the the people would come to the elders dispersed, and it said that they would basically make a pile of it and give an omer to each person, which is what each person was supposed to go get. And then you get to verse 18. Whoever gathered too much had none left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Every day for 40 years, every six days for 40 years, God told his people, go out and get an Omer. That's a measurement. I'm not sure how big that is. And every day, a couple hundred thousand people went out and got more than an Omer. A couple hundred thousand people went out and did not quite get an Omer. And of course, the temptation for the guy who got one and a half Omers was, I'm going to save this for tomorrow. Because I want to be independent. (laughs) And the person who didn't quite get an Omer... Is scared because what are they going to eat? And God provided exactly what his people needed. And whoever gathered too much had none left over. And whoever whoever did not gather, uh, whoever gathered little, had no lack. Why would God do that for 40 years? Teach them what? On him and interdependence with one another. You get that? So, I think it's important that right after redeeming his people, right when they become the Israelites, the first lesson that they learn, before they get the Ten Commandments, is we're going to do life together. Okay? So, look at C. Paul teaches that each gospel community is an interdependent community. This is Galatians 6. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each should bear his own load. So, on the one hand, we're called to bear one another's burdens, and on the other hand, we're told to bear our own load. Are these contradictory? Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul gives this glorious statement in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then he says, everybody's got to carry their own load. Are you with me? When? When do they need it? Yeah, okay, good. Some people need encouragement to carry their own burden. All right. The word burden in the Greek is a word that was only used for donkeys and oxes carrying a weight that no human could carry. The word load was most often a, a child in the womb or a traveler's backpack. So now think about it. Bear one another's unbearable loads, but carry your own back. I'm sorry. Right, right. No, that's what you're supposed to carry on your own. At least help will to come out of the womb. But what's the point? The point is, every human's got to carry their backpack, but sometimes God puts a burden on us that we cannot carry on our own. Are you with me? That's when you need community. And that's when you need, the independent person says, I've got to always carry everything. The over-dependent person says, I can't even carry my backpack. The interdependent person says, I'll carry my backpack, but I will quickly ask for help when God puts a burden on me that I can't carry on my own. Okay? That's interdependence. Right? All right, so look at, look at D. Many of the one another commands in the New Testament presume interdependence. There are at least 46 positive one another commands in the New Testament. By positive, I mean we're told to do something. So, for example, look at John 13, 14. Wash one another's feet. So I have the ability to wash feet, and you have the ability to wash feet, but I'm not supposed to wash my feet, I'm supposed to wash your feet, and you're not supposed to wash your feet, you're supposed to wash my feet. Look at the next one, pray for one another. So I have the ability to pray, and you have the ability to pray, but I'm not not supposed to use all my prayer on myself, I'm supposed to use some of my prayer for you, and you're supposed to use some of your prayer for me. Look at the next one, stir up one another to love and good deeds. So I have the ability to stir someone up to love and good deeds, and I need to be stirred up to love and good deeds, but I can't stir myself up to love and good deeds. I have to stir you up to love and good deeds. And because you can't stir yourself up to love and deeds, but you have the ability to stir someone up to love and good deeds, you have to stir me up to love and good deeds. Are you following me? These are not just... So when we think about the church being interdependent, we normally think, well, that's in those places where we have complementary gifts. I'm an ear... You're an eye, that person's an arm, we're different parts of the body. That's true, that's biblical. But the Bible also says we're interdependent and that we're supposed to do things for each other that we could do for ourselves, but we're not supposed to. Okay, look at the next one. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It does not say show hospitality to homeless people. Although that's biblical. It presumes that you have a house and that I have a house and we're supposed to open our house up to one another as if the other one doesn't have a house. Okay, are you with me? So all I'm trying to prove at this point is that we have this massive power in each other's lives and we have that power because God created us for and commands us to uh, interdependence. So look up from your handout. Please don't cheat. So the, the, the next question is this. How do we primarily steward this power in one another's lives. So like, for example, what resources has God given you to impact your neighbor, to bless your neighbor, to serve your neighbor? And of those resources he's given you, like we'll just say money, time, talents, compassion, right? These are things that we can have that we can bless one another with. What resource do we have that is uh, what? What resource is most powerful and most valuable? What do you think? Okay. We have we have time. Is a potential answer. Love. Okay. What else? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's good. I changed my mind. Erase that. I'm sorry. Willingness. All right. Look, at, uh, look down at C. Created in his image, our ability to communicate is the most powerful resource we steward. So go back to A. God created the universe by speaking. At least seven times, I'm sorry, at least eight times in Genesis 1, you have this, and God said, dot, 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 let there be light, for example, and there was light. So at least eight times in Genesis 1, we see that God creates everything by talking. Hebrews 1.3 says this, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Look at C1. The, B- the Bible doesn't say this about anything else you steward. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It doesn't say death and life are in your money. It doesn't say death and life are in your strength power of death and life are in the power of the tongue. How do you know that's true? How have you experienced that? We've yeah, we've all been hurt by something someone said, and also we've also been uplifted by something that someone said. So keep going. Proverbs 15.4, 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 12:18, rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 16:24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. In James 3, the tongue is illustrated as a bit, a rudder, and a spark. Why? Small things with a lot of power. Small things with a lot of power. So the bit is a small piece of metal or wood that can guide a massive horse. The rudder is a small piece of wood that can take a large ship through the seas. And a spark is small but can devour an entire forest through fire. The Bible does not say that about your money. It does not say that about your time. It does not say that about your talents. It says that about your ability to talk. And So our conviction for the night is that interacting with our gospel community about our daily Bible reading is as important as, as valuable as, as vital as our daily Bible reading. Are you beginning to see some of why that is? Okay? Let's keep going. Some of what the Bible teaches about Bible reading in community. So look at Deuteronomy 8. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses shared deeper lessons on why God fed his people with manna the way he did. So before you read chapter 8, verse 3, look at number 1. What lessons should the Israelites have learned from 40 years of manna gathering? You tell me, what lessons? So I'm thinking these are sort of surface lessons. And then in Deuteronomy 8, Moses says there's a deeper lesson, but there are very valuable lessons here. What, what did God's people learn gathering manna for 40 years? Trust. trust, yes. Trust in what? Yeah, trust in the Lord and his provision. Good. What else? They were yeah, helpless. Yeah. Yes, helpless. Yes, good. Uh, needy, dependent. Good, what else? Yeah, so God is faithful. Keeps his promises. What else? Yeah, good, yeah. So we're a community. Uh, Other people. What else? sabbath yeah so so god really does want them to take a sabbath god wants them to work six days and rest one Uh, also work work is good could god have just put it in their bellies could god have just put it in their cupboards what was best for them work okay but but they rested into their work, right? So they Sabbathed into their work, reminding them that God was overseeing all of this and taking care of them and all this, okay? So then, that being said, 40 years later, they're about to enter the promised land, right? Deuteronomy 8, that's the context. Describe to me the promised land compared to the wilderness. I'm sorry? Flowing with milk and honey. Yeah. They're about, it says this in Deuteronomy, you're about to eat from trees and plants that you did not plant. You're about to drink from wells you did not dig. There are springs everywhere in the promised land. Right? So they're, they're, going, from, they're going from physical deprivation to physical abundance. They're going from poverty, which is we barely have enough to make it through today to wealth. Okay, are you with me? Look at Deuteronomy 8.3. And the Lord humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So what are some of the deeper lessons? So God was teaching them these things for 40 years, and he was preparing them to learn this in the 40th year. What is it? According to verse 3. Up till this point, what did they think was their greatest need? Physical or spiritual? Good, so okay, good. So food you need not only physical food, you also need spiritual food. Right? And a huge part of De- Deuteronomy 8 is when you have physical surplus, you'll be tempted to think that you don't have a spiritual, dep- uh, spiritual uh, vacancy. The most dangerous time in a Christian's life is not poverty, it's wealth. Good thing this is a poor church. I can tell. Right? So, what do we need more when we have physical food? Spiritual food. And the way in which we gathered food for 40 years is how we gather the bread of heaven in the promised land. Are you with me? So when the, when the Lord's Prayer says, pray for daily bread, and Jesus says he's the bread of heaven, and the Lord's Prayer is our Father who art in heaven, what is that telling us about Bible reading? Th- these are true. This is deeper. I'm sorry? Right, exactly right. So... Value and vitality, what, however valuable and however vital you think daily Bible reading is, and I would say the Bible puts it right here. Deuteronomy 8.3 says being in community and doing it in community puts it right here as well. Because have you guys ever, I don't know, I have, maybe you have too, have you ever, set aside 30 minutes in the morning to read your Bible and come back with a less, less than an omer? A lot? <laughs> Me too. Was God not being faithful in that time? Or was God saying, get back in community and put it in a pile and spread it out? Right, right. And, and when I have an awesome time, I'm so self-centered, I think it's because I'm awesome. And God's like, no, it's because somebody else is trying right now and they're not getting as much as you. Does that make sense? And how encouraging is it when you're driving down the road and your 17-year-old daughter or your wife or your friend in your community group or somebody just texts you and says, what an awesome thing I saw in the Bible. Isn't it so cool that God is faithful and he's a promise keeper? That's food for me. Are you with me? This is why the church for 2,000 years has talked about reading the Bible in community. Is because God made us for interdependence. Okay? Let's keep going. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So here's my question. Do we have a role to play in whether or not the word dwells in us richly? We do, right? He says let, allow, permit. I have no idea why God did it this way. I prefer next time for him to just have it dwell in me richly. Right? But for whatever reason, he decided to give me some sense of responsibility in this, and I might even say power in this. He, said, he says, let the word dwell in you richly. Okay? How does the word dwell in us richly? By the way, the U is plural. How does the word dwell in us richly? Okay, what does this passage say? What does this passage say? How does the, who does the paraclete use? I'm sorry? Teaching and admonishing one another. Listening to Drew's sermons on Sunday. Listening to Tim Keller's sermons on the way to work. No? No? as good as those things are and as biblical as they are and as viable as they are, Paul says if you want the word to dwell in you richly, you get ready to teach and admonish your neighbor while they get ready to teach and admonish you and then you teach and admonish one another. Does that make sense? All right. Our conviction for this workshop is that engaging with our gospel community and our daily Bible reading is as valuable as as vital as our daily Bible reading. Talk to me about what's impactful to you right now. Tell me about maybe a question that we asked that impacted you or a verse that we read that impacted you. Tell me how you're doing before we take a break. No, nothing? Never mind. No, I'm saying tonight, just... How are you being impacted by this lesson? What's 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 uh, what's being impressed upon you by God? Mhm. Yeah. No. So when I think of like building up like that, i I'm not really thinking so much about the way Yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah, obviously, hanging out with each other having fun with each other, and that, that stuff is all. that's right. I'm just saying that we probably are already hanging out. There's probably already the opportunity to do this. It's there. Absolutely. Yeah, so when we started talking about community at 40,000 feet, we could have drilled down and applied into a bunch of different places, like hang out and have fun together, like serve one another, and all that. We, we chose to drill down into Bible reading and community. Yes? Informal? Yeah, informal, no, 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 no. Uh, Most of the folks that do community and community Bible reading do it through text. It's four to six men or four to six women. This is average. I'm not saying you have to do it this way. But it's like sending one sentence after they do their Bible reading that may start a conversation or it may not. Does that make sense? Very informal, walking down the paths of community that you already experience participating in community the way you already do it. So informal. Good question. Other thoughts? Impacts? What's impacting you? Yeah, it's just helpful to think of it, as Jamie said, in the idea of manna. You know, maybe I haven't read the Bible at all today, but someone comes and sends me a text with something really meaningful. It's like, oh, wow, I need that. Yeah. And maybe it'll drive me to the text. Even if it doesn't, I still get whatever, right. whatever the nugget was. Or right. So when I was... When I was young and hyperbolic and stupid, which could have been yesterday, I'm not telling you when that stopped. But people would say, I would hear from people, I'm experiencing intimacy with the Lord, but I don't know why you're calling it the community Bible reading journal. I'm not experiencing intimacy in community. Is that okay? And I would say something like, well, if you're not interacting with in community, but well, you might as well not even read your Bible. Just being a smarty pants. Does that make sense? But with the as valuable as and as vital as language, I am saying that reading your Bible And listening to Jesus and spending time with him in your prayer closet is really important. But this is also really important. And I'm also saying, do this one even if you don't do the other, and do this one if you don't do the other. Does that make sense? Most of, when I hear people talk about community Bible reading, especially if they're in a text group, they'll feel bad that they're not reading and that people are texting them. I'm like, no, you should feel good. You're doing community Bible reading. You're winning. God's so gracious, he's feeding you by overfeeding other people. So, of course, the, a human wants to go and get manna for other people as well. But, yeah, they're both super important. So, yeah, I, I, and, I, and, I, and I would say, having done this now, having people, watch people do this now for eight years, it usually is by being a part of a community that someone eventually, over time, increases their Bible reading. That they they are on the take on the take on the take, and then over time they start to contribute. But good. Okay. All right. So we're gonna take a break. I have no idea what time it is. It's it's seven thirty. It's perfect timing. Seven twenty-six. So let's take let's take an eight-minute break. We'll come back together. So. Uh, three, number three, steps that can increase our engagement of our gospel community and our Bible reading, okay? So um, obviously the plan for tonight was to just think about community uh, in the Bible, and then we're, we, we talked through Deuteronomy 8 and Colossians 3 to talk about how the Bible encourages us to um, do our Bible reading in community. And so now, uh, just try to get practical for a little bit and say, what steps can I take uh, to increase um, my engagement with my community and my daily Bible reading. And so the first one's not rocket science. It's, it's pretty simple. Join a CBR journal group. And I just use group as general language. But like commit yourself to a group of people um, where you, you say to one another, not only do I give you permission to text me on a daily basis or to call me on a daily basis or to send me an email on a daily basis or whatever, I'm not only giving you permission for that, I'm begging you, to share with me um, something from your time with the Lord in the morning, something from uh, your manna-gathering time in the morning, okay? So if you just think about two people, on the one hand, um, someone is here tonight, and they're like, okay, I see how it's biblical to interact uh, with my gospel community about Bible reading, and I'm tomorrow at some point gonna, I'm gonna read whatever's next. I think we... What are we going to tomorrow? Does anybody know now that Revelation is over? Mark. Mark. Is it Mark? Awesome. I'm going to read Mark 1 at some point tomorrow. Yeah, so you've been, you've been looking forward to this day like a birthday. Uh, and I, I'm, going to, I'm going to just try and think about somebody random in the church to call and tell them about how my time went in Mark chapter 1. So that's the first person. The other person says, I've got this group of people I'm going to get up a little bit earlier than normal. I'm going to enjoy Mark chapter 1. I'm going to journal through Mark chapter 1. I'm going to have the Holy Spirit give me one sentence to share with the group I've already committed myself to. And then I'm going to text that group, or I'm going to email that group, or I'm going to call. Or or Marco Polo is the new app I just found out about tonight, which is like Voxer, except for it's a video. So Voxer is a voice text that you can send to people. Marco Polo is a video text that you can send to people in your group. So which one of those two is going to experience more daily bread, more manna tomorrow? It's pretty simple. The one who joined a group. So by group, I don't know. It's just a generic phrase. It could be, I know of of people who do this with their immediate family. I know of people who do this with their siblings around the country. Uh, I know of people who do this with a small set of their community group. I know people who do this with people on their block. I would say whatever structures Redeemer has in place um, and whatever um, the elders and the leaders of the church recommend you do, I would just follow those instructions in figuring out who your group is. So, Jonathan, do you have any thoughts on that? Just basically, if you're in a community group, that might be the best place to form a CBR journal group or, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Yeah lowercase D, lowercase D, okay. Um mm-hmm. yeah. I think obviously if you're already connected uh in some way, there's relationships you can already tap into. Um we have quite a few newer books running around. that's a great way to kind of bite the mission a little bit deeper. Cool. Good. Do you think it's okay to be in multiple groups, multiple text threads? I am. I copy and paste that thing every day. I don't come up with something new, right? And so there's there are different places where I have friendships or where I have relationships, and I. And sometimes it just comes up that hey, do you guys want to do CBR together? And and everybody may already be in another group, but why not? Um, so. Yeah, that's a great idea. Steal, too. That's oh. that copy and paste. Yeah. That was great. And then you realize that it says, my husband is whatever. You're like, oh, man. Wrong one. All right, so step one is pretty simple. Just join a group. It doesn't mean that you can't talk about CBR with people outside of your group, but it's just a place for you to just uh, ha- have a commitment to others in regards to sharing on a regular basis. I would say this, of a, of a group of four to six, if one or two people share a day, that's pretty good. And don't feel like everybody has to share every day. Um, just get one or two thoughts out there and one or two, one or two words of encouragement. Um, we have found, like there are some groups, um, like some community groups will create a CBR journal group. And when that happens, you do have, usually have men and women in it. We have found that Gender-specific groups just la- will tend to last longer and go deeper. So again, like I am, I participate in some groups. Uh, I'm, I'm in like in two actually in India, where there are men and women in it, and that's a blessing to me. I love hearing from my sisters, and at the same time, I have some other groups where it's just men, and there's fewer, and those conversations are just different. So so again, we're not trying to say the only way to do this is to get in a group with five and in and, and whatever. It's just how do you uh, how, how can you engage in community and how can you take what you already have in your life and bring a CBR journal into it? So then step two, share your tendency with your CBR journal group. So here's the question. <clears throat> when struggling with interdependence, do you tend towards overdependence or independence? So remember Exodus 16, that's our main passage for interdependence, right? Manna gathering. Why does it say multiple times, I want everyone to go out and gather manna, gather manna, each one of you? Why does God tell Moses to tell the people, I want everyone to do it? And he he, he says it several times in the chapter. Might there be some people tempted to not go do it? (laughs) Yeah. And why does he have to keep saying, when you have extra, I don't want you to hoard it? Yeah, some people, if the road is interdependent, some people fall off on the overdependent side of, of the road, and some people fall into the ditch on the independent side of the road. Does that make sense? And so I think if you just think about life, so you never really thought about maybe Bible reading in community, just think about life, do you tend to fall into the over-dependent ditch, or do you tend to fall into the independent ditch? And my hunch is you're going to find that's the easiest ditch for you to fall into when you do community Bible reading in community. Are you with me? So practice now. Take 30 seconds and share with your table. (laughs) Sorry if you just met each other. But just practice. Say, you know, as I think about my life, I have a hard time carrying my backpack. Or when I think about my life, I have a hard time admitting when I need help carrying my burden. Does that make sense? Don't go too deep, especially if you just met the people. (laughs) All right. All right, let me me ask you the next question. Let me ask you the next question. Look at B. How might this tendency affect your participation with a CBR journal group? So in that first question, although I, I think the conversation went further, and that's great, the first question just was in life, do you see yourself going towards independence or over-dependence more? Now, this question is, how, how might an over-dependent person, uh, how might their over-dependence affect how they participate with the CBR journal group? You see what I'm saying? So t- you tell me. If a person is going to be over-dependent in CBR, journal, uh, CBR journaling, what's that going to look like? Okay, good. They, they might be needy, It's it yeah, I, I see what you're saying, not necessarily talking about what they got out of Bible reading, but what they're trying to get out of people in the text thread. I, 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 that would be a tendency for sure, to make the text thread not about Bible reading. Right, right, right. No, but you're right. So look, to just think about it on this level though, an overdependent person is going to not have uh, anything to share, right? And they're not going to believe that God could use them to bless other people. Does that make sense? And they're going to find it uh, awfully convenient to just wait for everyone else to read and share. Makes Make sense? Yeah, forums when you take a class online. Right? Reword the last guys. <laughs> and an overdependent person. The overdependent person presumes that they're confused more than anyone else in the group. Okay? Does that make sense? They presume they're confused more than anyone else in the group. In other words, that they can't. They can't read the Bible. They can't understand the Bible. They need someone else to explain the Bible to them. Does that make sense? Okay, what about the independent side? Just think more. Don't think so much about sharing on a text thread. Think about community Bible reading. and And the idea that daily Bible reading is important and interacting in community is important. So what... How's the independent person going to operate in that, in that environment? I was just saying that person feel like they need other people's Yeah, right. Don't need text thread. I read it. I got it all. Thank you. Yeah, I read it. I got it all. Thank you. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't need y'all. If y'all aren't going to share, let's get out of here. Right. Uh, The independent person can't imagine that God wants to tell tell them something through other people. Very good. Yeah. Well, I was in a text thread yeah. with a bunch of women that got up like two hours earlier than I ever did. They'd already blasted the whole thing before I ever had time to I'm constantly felt That's said my thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <a, laughs> be with you in a minute. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so the independent person, do you think that they're going to be more prone to text something theological or something personal? Theological. theological, right. Do you think they're going to be more prone to sharing some insight they got into the gospel or some conviction over sin? Insight, insight right, that's right. What's that? No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not talking about pastors and church planners at all. No, I'm just saying, so for me, I obviously am over here, and like it's really, like when I get the notification that someone else said something, I'm like, eh, so what? (laughs) And I'm like, you know what, they probably need me to say something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) they they probably need me, yeah, I need, yeah. And how can I shape them without really embarrassing them? For how bad their comment is. You know? Does that make sense? And so I'm just, I'm saying, I, I in life, I know from Exodus 16, and I know from life, I know from Galatians 6 that there are humans in the church not carrying their backpack. And there are many in the church who don't realize that when God gives them more than they need, it's for the community. Okay? And I'm just saying that, that is gonna ha- it's is gonna play itself out in Bible reading too. And so, the overdependent person, what do they? So I would submit to you that the overdependent person lacks confidence that comes from communing with God. Ironically, so it's this vicious cycle. This person lacks humility that comes from interacting with people. So they have a to be always right. That's right. Yeah, until they get married, or until they. No, I'm just kidding they get into a real human relationship where they find out, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. Okay? So all I'm saying is the irony is this person actually needs to go into private Bible reading more to get confidence from communing with God. This person needs to go into community more to get humility from hanging out with other people. So when it says confess your tendency or just share your tendency, if you do jump into a group, tell them on the front side this is a tendency in my life. And so I, I need you to be God's, I need you to, 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 to work, be available to, to, for God to use you to work in my life in these ways. Okay? So that's what it looks like on C. How can you confess this to your CVR journal group? All right. So you've, you've decided I'm going to jump into a group or you're in a group. You've said, all right, I'm going to share with them my tendency. I'm going to kind of get out there and let them know where this might be a struggle for me and where I need them to challenge me. Step three, now you are reading and starting to share and talk about uh, the passages. So tomorrow you're reading and sharing about Mark chapter 1. Step three, focus on and challenge with the gospel. Okay, so now I'm talking about the content. So you remember how I said... I want you, if you had four times where you interacted in community about your Bible reading over the next last 30 days, I want you to have, we'll just say six, but I want them to be more and better. Remember? The better is focus on and challenge with the gospel. So Colossians 3.16, let's go back to this, this passage and take another look at it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. What is the word of Christ, and what difference does it make when it lives abundantly in you? So first, what is the word of Christ? There are some bad manuscripts going around in the church uh, early on, and the manuscript said, let the word Christ dwell in you richly. So people were just like going around saying the name Christ all day long. Okay, so it's not that. It's, it's let the word of Christ. So, what is the word of Christ? <laughs> scripture. Okay, so, so about half of the world, half of the church says the word of Christ is Scripture. Because the word is about the Messiah. And so, this is saying, let the Bible dwell in you richly. What else might it mean? I'm sorry? Yep. Good. Put that thought on hold because I want to talk about when the word is dwelling in us, what is that positive way in which it's, it's impacting us? That's good. I'm sorry? No, let, let me go back to my question. We're getting ahead. So what, it, what might the word of Christ be? Yeah, so it could be, let the message about Jesus dwell in you richly. I'm sorry? The gospel. The gospel. Either way, what is the Point of the Bible, the gospel. What is the message about Jesus? The gospel. So it's saying, let the gospel, be with me, dwell in you richly. Now, let's ask the question, if the gospel is living in you abundantly, what difference might that make in your life? Making me more light its transforming me. Good. It's transformational. What else? Yeah, I would be more loving. Good. What else? Would you be more sad or more happy? Joyful. Okay, thank you. Would you be more impatient or patient? (laughs) We're naming it and claiming it at this point. So, so what is the word, What is the message about Jesus? Just tell me the doctrines of grace. What is it? He gave his life for you. Life for you. What else? I'm righteous. I'm clothed in his righteousness. The, the Father sees me as righteous. What else? He redeems my life and my relationships. He my life and my relationships. What else? He intercedes for me. He intercedes for me. What else? We're his children, his sons and daughters. What else? We'll live in his kingdom forever. What else? We're his bride. We're dearly loved. And, and he, he, he is amazed with us. He can't take his eyes off of us. What else? The spirit lives in us. What else? He gives us wisdom. Yeah, he is wisdom. He gives us wisdom. What else? Can you see how this might make a difference in our lives? If the gospel... We're living extravagantly in us or dwelling richly in us. Okay, so review, how does that happen? (laughs) Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's how it happens. Okay, you see that? Paul is saying if you want the Bible and the gospel to dwell in you richly, you teach and admonish others while they teach and admonish you. Now, I want you to think about this. Compare and contrast teaching and admonishing. Okay, yeah, no, I like that. Teaching is telling them, admonishing them is reminding them. What, think about the word teach and the word admonish. How are they different? Correction. Correction, rebuke, yeah. We normally think of admonish as you being in trouble, but does it say, um, let, me, let me think about how to say this. Does it say obey the teaching of Christ richly? by admonishing one another. No. It says, it basically says, let the gospel flow abundantly in your life by rebuking one another. Isn't that fascinating? I'm sorry? Okay, well, think about it. So teaching is proactive, building up someone's theology, Admonishing is reactive, correcting their unbelief. Does that make sense? So, when we're admonishing one another with the gospel, we are admonishing our unbelief. Okay? We're not admonishing one another. You approve, you're in. Okay, good. You're in. So that's why I said focus on and challenge with the gospel. When you're, in a, when you're in a community talking about Bible reading, what, will some, what might someone say, and you say, oh my, I'm going to have to admonish them so that the gospel dwells richly in them? Yeah. What is something, somebody says, I read Mark 1, or I read Revelation 22, and I was reminded of how much of a liar I am. And they just stop right there. Or somebody says, "I was reading and I just, I can't, uh, something about I, um, something about I was reading this morning and I was convicted of how I need to be more generous and I am I am committed uh, to being more generous. I told God that He could count on me being generous in the future. Yeah. They miss Jesus. yeah. So what's dwelling richly in them? Sure. Their commitment." Their word, good. The message about them. Yeah, their works. So my point is this. Like, humans, ex- humans exhibiting unbelief don't just need teaching. They need admonishing. Okay? Let's keep going. I'll show, I'll, we'll, we'll keep talking about it. Ephesians 4 25, to 20, 20, 20, uh, 4, 25 and 29. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor... For we are members one of another. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. All right. So here's my question: How does this passage reinforce what we learned about interdependence? Look for the one another. Yeah, Ephesians 4:25. How does this passage reinforce what we learned about interdependence? Right? But we'll get there in a second. Look in verse 25. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We are members one of another. And so it's saying, let each one of you do that for their neighbor. And, but the address is to both people to do it for the other, right? So in other words, you have the ability to speak the truth and your neighbor has the ability to speak the truth, right? And you're supposed to speak it to one another, not to yourself. That's what we mean by interdependence. Okay, let's keep going. How does this reinforce what we learned about the power of words? You can skip down to verse 29 now. What does this tell you about the power of words? Let no corrupting talk, so words can corrupt, rust, erode, destroy. Only such is good for building up. So words can build up, strengthen, empower right? I'm sorry? Right, that's right. They can give, they can literally give grace. Okay, so three, describe communication that is good for building up and communication that corrupts. So in this passage, it's easier to talk about that which builds up and then contrast that. So what is communication that builds up? What, what are words that use the passage, describe to me from the passage, words that build up? Okay, truthful. Now, twice, it actually says the truth, right? Twice in Ephesians, the truth has come up. It came up in chapter 1, and we're told that the truth is the gospel of your salvation, and in Ephesians 4, we're told about, and let me look up the verse just so you know, Ephesians 4, 21, we're told that the truth is Jesus. So, of course, Paul wants us to be factually accurate with one another. But when he says that he wants us to um, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, he is saying, let each one of you speak the gospel Of Jesus to your neighbor. You follow that? Okay, so words that build up, gospel. What else? Give grace to the occasion. What does that mean? Yeah, just that means, that means that what they can hear or what they need to hear is more important than what I think I need to say. I think we are more likely to do it in they're not going to okay, but they might be like God sovereign. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's not great. Good. Exactly. The point, the, the, exactly right. The underlying point is, The audience, where they're at, determines my communication to them. Not what I have a quiver in my liver for. Okay, so then, if that's what builds up, what corrupts? Okay, avoiding the truth. So you can just say lies, but you could also, what's the opposite of the gospel? You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it, and I, I don't have time to write. God helps those who help. What else? I'm sorry. Philosophy. Good. <laughs> That's great. Mor- moralism? What is moralism? Just do the right thing. I'm so glad that you do see that you're a liar. You you can you need to speak the truth. Rivalry, where you're not in the body, you worried about their position. Kind of good. Rivalry, good. Gossip. gossip. Prayer. Oh yeah. gossip through prayer. I'm really concerned for, that's great. Okay, so all this to say, step three is, again, we're talking about our interactions going deeper, and that depth is having it be the word of Christ, having it be the gospel, right? That we want our interactions with one another, not to just be um, some statement that proves everyone else we read our Bible, but but some declaration of and and proclamation of um, and some dealing in and around the gospel. So that if that person in our group did not have time to read that morning, what they're hearing is not moralism or philosophy or inspiration, it's gospel. Okay? So, uh, see, Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. Take care, brothers and sisters. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How does this passage reinforce what we've learned about the power of community? Good. Exhorting one another can keep you from being hard-hearted and being deceived. Okay? So put it into first-person singular language. Use words like I, my, me. Right. Your heart, your heart doesn't always become hard in 24 hours, but it can become hard in 24 hours. Right? Every day is all it's called today. Okay? What else? Great, great, great example. What else? What's that? We share in Christ. What else? I mean, so I would say that this way. I have been given power to help my neighbor stay near to the living God. Like, if you just take this passage and what it's saying... Directly, and what it's implying, it's saying that we need each other every day to remind each other of what we have in Jesus, or our hearts will become evil, which is not choosing to disobey God. It's choosing to not believe God. Evil is not the choice to, to disobey the Ten Commandments. Evil starts in unbelief. Does that make sense? And belief comes through community. And by God's grace, we don't have hard hearts. Every 24 hours, we disregard community, but it is possible that within 24 hours, by disregarding community, we could have an unbelieving heart. All right? So, uh, how does this passage reinforce what we've learned about interdependence? That everyone, it says, exhort one another. Now, here's the question What are we to exhort one another towards? Good, the gospel. What else? Sure, daily powering, good answer. What else? I'm sorry? Our original confidence. More community, good. That means of grace that keeps taking me back to my original confidence. Jesus, what's that? A believing heart, good. So, so in, say, in asking this question the way I'm about to ask it, I'm not saying that the opposite is never true in the Bible, but I would just say it this way. Are we supposed to, in this passage, exhort one another towards actions? What's that? What is that? Where does it say that? No, yeah, I mean, you, that's true. We are supposed to exhort one another to love and good deeds. But in this passage, we're exhorting one another to faith, right? Okay, so what does exhort look like? Yeah, good. So, so what's the demeanor of one exhorting? I'm sorry? Okay, I agree. It will encourage them. But what is their demeanor? What is their posture? What is their? No, no, no. I'm the one exhorting someone. Yeah, locker room speech. Okay, it's saying, I'm supposed to exhort you to faith. What's my demeanor? He said, locker room speech. What is the coach's demeanor while exhorting those players? Oh. Powerful. Aggressive. Up, yeah. Yeah. What I'm about to say is more important than whatever you think you're doing right now. You should also know it's for you. Yeah, it's for you. Absolutely. That's, that's the point. This is focus on challenge with the gospel. Exhort is a challenging word. It's like do what you have to do to get their attention. And when you get their attention, what are you exhorting them towards? The gospel, right? So we don't normally put those two together. I'm just trying to show you that in the Bible, the Bible's like be aggressive towards one another to talk about the gospel. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Okay. Step four is follow the, the CBR journal design. Basically, we're going to close with this because we've run out of time. But you all are most of you are CBR journal participants, so I don't feel the need to sort of go through an example with the journaling page. But but you tell me how can the CBR journal help you increase your engagement of your gospel community in your Bible reading? So let's say you've come to realize you went to a good talk, uh, you went to a good sermon or a good lesson, and they 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 convinced you that your daily Bible reading is this vital and this valuable, and your interaction over your daily Bible reading, is this vital, this valuable? How is the CBR Journal designed as a tool to help you do this? In other words, why would you want to use a tool like the CBR Journal to follow what the Bible teaches here? I think some people, depending on their background, it's easy to get stuck in the, I suck, because I'm really convicted of sin. The nice thing about this model is that hmm. after you confess your sin, yeah. Your mind Thanksgiving, good. Yeah, so yes? Maybe if I'm in a text thread, I'm, like, I'm just, I mean, that's an opportunity to remind them. It's like, yeah, that's true. But go back to the T-box. <laughs> yeah, but, so good. So the journal's been designed for you to rehearse the gospel, to go from adoration to confession to thanksgiving to supplication. So if we're supposed to be giving the gospel to one another, it's helpful if we've been rehearsing the gospel in our private time. Great. What else? So, so when Jonathan was talking about Mark 5, what if all of us had read Mark 5 this morning? Would we have been more impacted by what he was saying? Yeah, so the reading schedule puts us on the same page so that you can reference something. And that takes me back to a few hours earlier. So he's having to remind us about, Jer- remember, Jairus and his daughter. Had we all read it? And he said, don't fear, just believe. Like, oh, man, that was powerful this morning. It's powerful right now again. Does that make sense? So, so when people are like, why don't I just use, the journaling guide, and you just read whatever you want to read and use the journaling guide, is that going to be as powerful as two people reading the same thing? No. Okay. Uh, last thing. The last thing is this. At the bottom of the journal, it says, how has God impacted you the most uh, through today's passage? You know those two lines at the bottom? I would, in, I would encourage you to grow in the skill of writing a good sentence that captures what was most impactful to you in your private Bible reading that is about Jesus and the gospel and have that be what you text people. That, that was put there as a way for you to sort of come out of your prayer closet with one sentence to proactively share with people about how God impacted you, right? And, ma- and making it about Jesus, making it about the gospel, making it about what we have in him. Does that make sense? Okay, if that is not there, how has God impacted you the most through today's passage? We will be inclined to talking about theological points. We'll be inclined to argue theological debates. (laughs) Right, we will be inclined to talk about what confused us. But that there says, don't, don't focus now on what confused you. Think about what God, by his Holy Spirit, through his word, what he impacted you with and made Jesus more beautiful to you and have that be your sentence that you share. All right? Last question of the night. It's almost 8.30. We're almost done. Jonathan, do you have a last question? Last comment? Okay, good. I just didn't want to take all the time. I didn't know if you had an announcement or anything. Anyone? Bueller? Questions? Concerns? Comments? You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, I'll pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for this opportunity to be together. Uh, we praise you that, um, that we have again tonight been reminded of how gracious you are and how good you are. Uh, we, we are grateful that you are saving us. We are grateful that you are uh, using uh, us in each other's lives. Uh, we praise you that uh, you did not, after the fall, leave us in a place where all we can do is hurt one another. We praise you that in the gospel uh, we can by, be used by you to bring about um, eternal redemption in one another's lives. And we pray that you would give us, uh, remind us of this power that we steward in each other's lives and lead us by your Holy Spirit uh, to build one another up in the gospel. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.